You're listening to the Metamore City Podcast, episode 22, for July 13th, 2008. Warning. This episode contains mature themes and explicit sexual content. Seriously, guys, you're going to want headphones for this one. Don't say I didn't warn you. Metamore City, a podcast series created by Chris Lester. For more information, please visit www.metamorphcity.com. Hey there, Metamorphs. Welcome back to the Metamore City Podcast. This is going to be a fairly short episode with about 20 minutes of story, but I'll make it up to you in the next one. Since I've got the time, though, I'm going to spend a few minutes now to tell you where the show is headed. As you heard in the last episode, I've been hired on as a teacher at a charter school in Oakland, California. At the end of this month, I'm going to drive out there, and along the way I'll be stopping in Chicago, Springfield, Missouri, Denver, and Phoenix. I plan to stay a few days in Phoenix to spend time with the podcasting clan out there, so if you're interested in meeting up, send me an email at feedback at metamorecity.com and let me know. Once I get to Cali, things are going to be pretty crazy for a while. I have some administrative details to take care of, some homework for my credentialing program, and all the ordinary chaos that comes with moving to a new place. On August 8th, I'll be jumping into a professional development course, which is going to occupy literally all of my time until school starts up on the 22nd. So, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get episode 23 on July 27th, and then Making the Cut is going on hiatus for the month of August. I'm hoping to have a two-part short story ready to run during the break, but I'm not making any promises yet. Once the school year starts and I'm back in a regular routine, I'm planning to resume production as usual, and episode 24 should come out on September 7th. That's the plan. If anything changes, I'll let you know. Lastly, one important note about this episode. As you heard at the beginning, this episode does have sexually explicit content. That part is at the end of the chapter, about 13 minutes after the story so far. If you don't want to hear it, turn off the episode at that point. Sound fair? Good. Now then, without further ado, I present Chapter 14 of Making the Cut. Here is the story so far. Daniel Sharabi's new life as a woman seems to be going surprisingly well. While Danny was initially worried that she might be turning into a slut, she has decided to embrace her new sexuality and stop fighting against her nature. She agreed to take part in a scientific study of the Androgyne Curse, which her flatmate Nathan was helping to conduct. And in the process, she learned a lot more about her new body and its shape-shifting capabilities. She has also thrown herself completely into her relationship with Jared Tamlin, a police psychologist whose telepathic powers are even weaker than her own. Jared has consistently treated Danny with kindness and respect, but Danny has become frustrated at his reluctance to take their relationship to the next level of intimacy. Earlier this evening, Danny took Jared to the cellar, a hive-owned coffee house and smoking parlor. Jared initially had doubts about the place, both because it was hive territory and because it exploited a legal loophole that allowed it to serve Class B drugs substances like nicotine and cannabis that could affect the health of others around the user. Danny finally persuaded him to stay, and he was surprised to find that he enjoyed himself. They were welcomed readily by the other telepaths, Danny because she was a woman, and Jared because he was with Danny. 
As the evening wore on and Jared grew more relaxed, he pulled out a cab and shared it with Danny. As the smoke from the cannabis spiraled around them, Danny closed her eyes and let the music carry her away. Chapter 14 They left the cellar a few hours later. Danny felt relaxed and peaceful, and Jared had a contented look in his eyes that was a real pleasure to see. I've never experienced anything like that, Jared said, as they got into his skimmer and ventured back out into Metamore City's endless stream of traffic. All those other teeps treating me like family? It makes me finally understand why people are so committed to the collective. Even in a room full of strangers, it feels like home. See, the hive does have its good points. I'll be the first to admit it has its problems, too, but what family doesn't? True enough. Jared reached over and took Danny's hand. Thank you for showing me. I'm really sorry I gave you a hard time about it earlier. Danny squeezed his hand in return. Apology accepted. Although, she added impishly, I wouldn't be adverse to you doing me a little favor as penance. He smirked. What did you have in mind? Show me where you live. Off his surprised look, she added, Well, it's only fair, right? You've been to my apartment, what, five times now? And you haven't taken me back to your place once. Color rose into his pale cheeks. I never asked because I didn't want you to think I was trying to take advantage of you. Through their skin-to-skin contact, Danny heard another thought that rose up unbidden in Jared's mind. And you're so beautiful that I might have tried. Danny blushed and smiled, and Jared's eyes widened. Oh, hells. You heard that, didn't you? She lifted his hand to her lips and kissed the backs of his fingers. Don't take it back when you're winning points, Jake. Come on, take me back to your place. She didn't have to ask again. Jared lived in an apartment-style condominium on the third level of the Valley North Borough. It was a quiet residential neighborhood, or at least as quiet as the city ever got above street level, and traffic was light as they pulled into the parking garage that sat under the indigo glass towers of the condo complex. They parked in a numbered space and took a lift up to the fourth floor. The doors had electronic security pads instead of traditional locks, and Jared swiped a card through the reader to let them inside. The condo was small but elegant. A marble-tiled entry area blended seamlessly into a kitchen on the left and a dining area straight ahead. Beyond the dinner table, the tile floors gave way to plush carpeting in a sitting room, which had two leather sofas and a reclining chair arranged around a glass coffee table. Windows made up the entire back wall of the sitting room, giving a breathtaking view of the citadel four kilometers to the south. Even in the middle of the night, the faceted glass observation decks of the twin minarets shone like glowing jewels above the rest of the cityscape. Gods, Jared, it's gorgeous. Thanks. I'm afraid I can't take all the credit, though. We have a cleaning service that comes through once a week. Come on upstairs, I'll show you the rest. On the left side of the sitting room, a spiral staircase led up to the second floor, a loft area that looked out over the room below and shared its view of the city beyond. A large, comfortable-looking bed and two nightstands stood against the west wall of the loft, surrounded by framed photographs and a few small prints of Impressionist paintings. The east wall was home to a large computer desk, covered with data cards and assorted paperwork. Two bookshelves flanked the desk on either side, their shelves filled to overflowing. 
The titles ran through a variety of genres, but medical reference volumes, psychiatric journals, and detective novels all featured prominently, and there was an entire shelf full of what appeared to be photo albums. The back wall of the loft had two doors that led to a large walk-in closet and a master bathroom. I like it. It must be nice waking up to that view every morning. Most days. Although, (laughs) it can be a little unnerving when the window washers show up. There's a remote control that turns the glass opaque, but half the time I forget about it until there's someone hanging outside my window and I'm standing there in my boxers. (laughs) Danny laughed, and her exhibitionist side felt a little thrill at the idea of giving the window washers a show to remember. I didn't even know I had an exhibitionist side. It's funny the things you learn about yourself when you stop being afraid of who you are. She drifted over to the west wall and looked at the pictures with interest. Some of them were clearly vacation photos. Jared with friends on the beach, the view from a mountain summit, even one on the steps of the Grand High Temple in Elfquillen. Another showed Jared shaking hands with a police officer in a navy blue dress uniform. Most of the others seemed to be slice-of-life images, taken at parties, in bars, or in places where the location didn't matter enough to be included in the frame. Danny noticed that one person seemed to appear in more of the pictures than anyone else, even more than Jared himself. She was an attractive Arambian woman in her early twenties, tall and willowy, with striking blue-black skin and short, nappy hair that was covered by a scarf in many of the photos. Several of the photos showed Jared with his arm around her, or vice versa. Hey, who's this? Danny asked, gesturing at one of the pictures. Jared's smile faded. He sat on the edge of the bed, and his body seemed to fold in on itself. That's Catherine. My wife. Danny suddenly found it hard to breathe. What? Um, what happened? Jared stared at the floor. She was killed three years ago. He swallowed. Vampires. Oh, gods. Danny sat down on the bed and put her arm around him. Is she... He shook his head. No, no, she left instructions not to let her be turned if it ever happened to her. We... It never cremated before she came back, so the Emmy never found out who did it. He gritted his teeth. It was easy to figure out why, though. (sighs) Because you're with the cops? He nodded. She could tell that he was on the edge of tears. Shit, this evening isn't turning out like I hoped. She looked around for inspiration, and her eyes fell on the shelf full of photo albums. Are those pictures from when you guys were together? She asked, pointing at the shelf. He looked up, sniffed, and nodded again. Most of them, yeah. Danny got up and pulled out two of the photo albums, then carried them back to the bed. She opened up one of them and set it in his lap. Tell me about her. Not how she died. Tell me about you two together. Tell me about how she lived. Jared hesitated. I'm not sure I can. I I just stopped wearing the ring this past New Year's. Danny took his hand. Could you try? She asked, gently. This is a huge part of your life we're talking about. If we're serious about being together, I want to get to know that side of you. He sniffed again, then squeezed her hand tightly. (sighs) Okay, for you. I'll try. Jared looked down at the first page of photos and began to talk. Haltingly at first, but with a gradually increasing confidence, he told Danny about Catherine 
about her passion for music and her career as a concert violinist, about the strange chain of coincidences and happy accidents that had brought them together, about their two years of awkward on-and-off courtship, with all its deliriously happy moments and awkward cultural missteps, and about their marriage, three blessed and mostly contented years of just living life in each other's company. As he grew more comfortable talking about her, Jared was even able to share some of the funny moments from their life together, like the trip to Pyralis when Catherine had conspired with the local merfolk to steal Jared's surfboard so that he would spend more time sightseeing with her. What she didn't count on was how much I truly loved that board, Jared said, grinning. So I told her, okay, how about a boat trip around the bay? And she said, sure, sounds like fun. So <laughs> so I, I go to the guide and I pay him to take us over to the local merfolk village. Oh, no. Danny laughed, shaking her head. As soon as the murs came up to see what was going on, I jumped in to grab one of them and to tell them to take me to their priestess because I was not leaving until I got my damn surfboard back. Danny groaned and smacked her hand against her forehead. Oh, Prophet Blessed, what did they do? Jared giggled, his whole body shaking with mirth. <laughs> well, the first one didn't know what the crazy human was ranting about. And of course, he'd just come out of the water, so he didn't have any air in his gill books to talk with. So he's just floating there, his mouth gaping, and he keeps sucking air down like this. He mimicked a gasping <laughs> fish, which made Danny laugh even harder. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's squirting water out of those gill slits and it's shooting all over me. And when he finally sucks down enough air to speak, he doesn't know any comments. So he just starts <laughs> talking to the tour guide. And then the tour guide starts <laughs> cracking up. Turns out that the murderer thought I was offering to become his oath brother. <laughs> oh, God. What did Catherine say? <laughs> well, when she picked herself up off the deck and could finally breathe again, she said... Jared, I know he's gorgeous, but I'm telling you now, it's either him or me. <laughs> they both doubled over laughing at that, and it was well over a minute before either of them recovered the power of speech. Of course. Of course. After that, she explained everything. I was pretty upset until she told me that it wasn't really gone and the Murs are going to bring it back before we left. Then she apologized for having my board stolen, and I apologized for not paying enough attention to what she needed. And we finally ended up going back to the hotel room for some makeup sex, so I guess it all worked out in the end. Danny snickered and wiped her eyes. Ah, oh, hells. Remind me just to ask when I want you to do something instead of trying to manipulate you into doing it. <laughs> it's a deal. His eyes drifted over to the bedside clock. It was well after 1 a.m., and on that note, I guess I better take you home, seeing as we both need to be up for work tomorrow. He gathered up the photo albums and carried them back over to the shelf. Danny came up behind him and put a gentle hand on his shoulder. Jared. He turned around, his dark eyes curious. She came deliberately close to him, not pressing her body against his, but close enough to feel his breath as she looked him in the eyes. Inviting. She reminded herself. Not demanding. Soft and flowing, always. She placed a hand against his cheek and brushed her thumb softly against it. With her other hand, she unfastened the first two buttons of her blouse, revealing the birth control amulet that rested between the upper curves of her breasts. Take me home tomorrow, she said. Jared's expression turned worried. Danny? Are you sure? She resisted the urge to roll her eyes. Too damned noble. Jared, look at me. She said, keeping her tone gentle and even. I haven't been drinking. 
I haven't had a cab in hours. My mind is clear. She gestured at her amulet. I even brought protection. This is what I want. If it's what you want. Danny wrapped her arms around his neck. As she ran her fingers over Bear's skin, she heard his thoughts floating at the surface, uncertain. Catherine would want you to do this, Danny sent back to him. We've honored her tonight with our words. Isn't it time to honor her memory by finding the happiness that she would have wanted you to have here and now? A part of her will always be with you, and a part of Rebecca will always be with me. But we have to have enough courage to go on, to make new lives out of the old. Jared smiled, a bittersweet expression. He wrapped his arms around her waist. Sometimes you're a lot wiser than your years, Danny. She ran her tongue over her lips to moisten them. Her heart felt like it was hanging somewhere high above her, suspended by a thread. First time for everything, she said. So, what do you want, Jared? He leaned forward, his lips nearly touching hers, and raised one hand to cradle the back of her head. You, he whispered, and kissed her. Danny felt the passion inside her flame into life immediately as intense and all-consuming as that ill-fated kiss in the restaurant. This time, though, no one tried to stop her, and with joy she opened herself up to it completely. Her spell-sculpted body reshaped itself in response to her desires, and suddenly her clothes were too tight to contain the voluptuous curves of her hourglass figure. Oh, gods. She panted, fumbling with the clasp on her bra. Oh, gods, hurry. Jared wasted no time helping her out of her clothes, and as she stepped out of her fallen jeans, he paused and stared at her, his eyes drinking her in from head to toe. She felt another wave of pleasure, and her nipples rose to attention, while the warmth and wetness of her arousal filled the cleft between her legs. Then she was on him like a tigress, pinning him up against the bookshelf, arms and legs wrapping tightly around him, as if she were trying to envelop his entire body. He met her kisses with his own, strong and unhesitating, then cupped her ass in both hands and lifted her up until he could reach her breasts. He spun her around and sat her down on the edge of the computer desk. His mouth found her breasts again, and he sucked and licked and teased her nipples, first one and then the other. At the same time, the fingers of one hand reached down to explore between her thighs, moistening themselves with her own juices and running lightly over the folds of her lips. It was sweet, blissful agony, a taunting, seductive dance that drove her already fierce ardor into a firestorm of desperate need. Please, 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 please. But whether she was begging him to stop or to keep doing it forever, even she did not know. As it happened, he did neither. Instead, he knelt before her and tasted her, his mouth joining his fingers in the dance. He found her clit and ran his tongue over and around it, A quick and delicate touch, there and gone in only a moment. But the sensation was so powerful that Danny cried out and nearly fell over. Ah! File folders flew onto the floor, their contents scattered, as she reached out to the sides of the desk to steady herself. He laughed, a low and hearty chuckle, and even the feeling of his breath against her skin sent more tingles and spasms of need coursing through her body. Then his tongue darted out again, lapping to either side of her swollen nub. The sensation was still intense, but more bearable, and she sent a wordless telepathic signal to him that this was the right spot. 
he sent back an equally wordless reply, and his tongue began to move in a steady, patient rhythm. Danny had never felt anything like it before. Daniel had felt echoes of Rebecca's pleasure when he would go down on her, but even a telepathic bond was no substitute for direct experience. She writhed and moaned under Jared's touch as he gradually stoked her higher and higher, until any semblance of coherent thought was driven out by waves of pleasure. Her hips started to move of their own accord, grinding against Jared's face. He kept his rhythm steady but increased the pressure of his tongue against her tender flesh. Danny's thighs clamped tight around Jared's head and held on for dear life as her first female orgasm crashed through her body. She screamed in ecstasy and fell back across the desk, spilling more papers as she writhed and shuddered under the aftershocks of her climax. Jared moved his mouth a little further away from her clit but kept lapping at her gently, playing along the cleft between her outer and inner lips until her body relaxed once more. She felt him working his way back up to her nub, intent on driving her up the summit again, but she sat up and grabbed his head in both hands. No. She told him silently, as she guided his mouth back to her own. No, I want all of you. She tasted herself on his mouth and found it sweet, not to mention intensely erotic. They stood up, and Danny's hands worked diligently to undress him, while her tongue danced with his. She unbuttoned his shirt and pulled it off, then unfastened the fly of his jeans. She reached inside his boxers and grasped him. He moaned into her mouth, and she felt him twitch against her hand, growing firmer by the second. She dropped to her knees and pulled off his pants and underwear in one smooth motion. Cradling him in both hands, she looked up into his eyes and smiled. The surge of desire that ran through their telepathic bond needed no translation. She teased him as he had teased her, using hands, lips, and tongue to coax him to rigid attention. Though she had never done this before, she instinctively knew how. The pseudo-curse that had changed her body carried with it a deep understanding of exactly what to do. The curse had been designed, after all, to create men and women who were unparalleled masters at giving pleasure. Danny gleefully took all it had to offer her, and used it without fear or hesitation. She reveled in the taste of him, the feel of him inside her mouth. Part of her wanted to carry him to his own climax like this, to milk him until she had swallowed every drop, but a larger part of her wanted, needed, something else. When he was ready, she stood up and put her hands on his chest, pushing him until he fell backward onto the bed. She climbed on after him, straddling his chest, and lowered her head to kiss him deeply. Then she slid slowly back and rubbed her soaking lips up and down the length of his shaft, lubricating him with her own slick juices. At last, with a helpful hand from Jared, she arched her back, rotated her hips, and let him slip inside her. With magically bestowed talent and the intimate knowledge of their telepathic bond, Danny controlled the pace of their lovemaking, bringing Jared to the brink again and again, only to back away from it, prolonging the experience. She rode him through one climax of her own and up toward the verge of another. Here at last, she abandoned all self-control, bucking wildly as his hips rose up to meet hers, and they crashed over the final summit together. She collapsed atop him, kissing him with passion but no longer with desperate urgency. Both of them were sated, and the psychic bond between them only grew in intimacy after their physical urges had been fulfilled. Jared held her close and she rested her head against his chest and listened to his heartbeat as it slowly returned to normal, 
He planted soft kisses on her neck. Danny? Oh God, Stanny, I love you. Never leave me. Never leave me. And Danny knew in that moment that she would never want to. We'll be back with more of the Metamore City podcast right after these messages. After protecting celebrities from overeager party girls, trading ships to guard a college professor should have been a piece of cake for Reagan Fisher. But apparently the professor has secrets he's keeping to himself, and it's said to put Reagan smack in the middle of a celestial police investigation she's not equipped to deal with. To protect her client, to protect herself, Reagan has to figure out who isn't what they appear to be, play a game of spiritually enlightened catch-up, and track down an artifact that holds a dangerous key to the whole thing. Guardians by Kimmy Alexander can be found at www.guardiansnovel.com. Experience Guardians, the podcast novel, as it is being written, chapter by chapter. Episodes will be available for download at guardiansnovel.com and watch the website for interesting information on Reagan's world, downloads like wallpapers and icons, and collectibles. Guardians, it's going to get exciting. Hey, Paisan, how you doing? It's been a while since we talked, hasn't it? I bet you're sitting there with your iPod all plugged in or your MP3, what's this, who's it, you know, and you're, you're sitting there thinking, there must be something very important for this good friend of mine to suddenly break from his busy schedule to talk to me. And you know what? You are absolutely right. T. Morris, the author of Bill Above Battings in the Case of the Singing Sword, he's back. He's written... The Case of the Pitcher's Pendant, a Billabub Batting's Mystery. Classy, huh? And he's all excited about the book premiere. But here's the thing. We don't want you to go to Amazon.com right now and pre-order Billy Batting's. You really don't want to do that. Trust me, you don't want to do that. I know it sounds crazy, but that's what we're talking about here. Billy's Crazy Eights. On August 8, 2008, 8808, get it, huh? That's clever, ain't it? We are asking you to go to Amazon.com and place your order for the case of the pitcher's pendant. That's right. On August 8th, you hit Amazon. You hit them hard. Just don't whack anybody in the process, okay? Just, you know, leave that to the professionals. So we understand each other? Yeah, that's what I thought. You know, you and I, we got this rapport, and I, I just, that's good. That's really good. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Where are you going? Yeah, I know this is the point in the promo where I usually say why you're still here, but not this time. No, no, no. You wait. I told you to wait. What? You got calzone in years? 8808. That's when you go. Capiche? All right. All right. Enjoy the rest of your podcast. Hi, I'm Alan Sale from the Astral Audio Experience Podcast, which can be found at www.astralaudio.net. And you're listening to Metamore City. 
And we're back. For those of you who are still with me, I hope you enjoyed the chapter. If you didn't, well, that's the only place in the novel where it gets that explicit, so you should be safe from here on out. Seriously, though, guys, I'd love to hear what you think. This is my first time writing a scene like this, so whether you liked it or didn't like it, call me and tell me why. That number is 206-350-7333. You can also record your comments and email them to me at feedback at metamorecity.com, or you can post your comments in the blog. If you'd like to participate in a conversation with other metamorphs, you can visit our discussion forums, which are at thecursed.org. However you choose to do it, I hope you'll take a minute or two to share your thoughts with me, because getting feedback from other people is the biggest thing that's going to help me to become a better author. I'll save feedback on Chapter 13 for next time, so the folks who left early won't miss out. Big thanks to Sarah Lloyd and Jason Adams for their work on this episode. Chapter 14 had a lot of emotional highs and lows, and I know it was a stretching experience for both of them, but I'm very happy with how their performances turned out. Thanks, guys. You rock. That'll do it for this week. I'll be back on July 27th for episode 23. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. Some of the music on this podcast was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Some sound effects were provided by SoundSnap at soundsnap.com, while others were provided by the Freesound Project, located at freesound.iua.upf.edu. Metamore City is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org.